So who's ever said something, you know, maybe you didn't think a lot about it before you said it, you know, weren't really focused on exactly how everybody in the room was going to take it, you know, and you said something and then you literally like, like you are figuratively, I guess, wish you could just like grab it you know, and shove it back in, right? Anybody would just say, yeah, I've done that. Okay, so I mentioned this to our group that prays on Sunday mornings before the service, and, and here's what happened. Several married couples in the room, okay? Several married couples. In one of the, one of the situations, the, the husband goes, so if you're preaching today about careless words, you're here to kind of get on to the husbands, right? And the wife went, that's right, that's right. He's talking to you. He said, maybe I might you know, work the nursery today. I might do that. I might, I might go find a way to get, you know. And, and then another married couple said, uh, wait a second, wait a second. I, I think she's the one that needs to pay attention to this one, you know. So let's take a vote. Y'all are like, seriously? It's a joking vote, but I will warn you, the topic of the sermon is careless words. <laughs> so how many of you would say that as a whole, guys have a tendency to use careless words more often? All the men are like, that's a safe bet for me. I'm voting right there. I'm voting right there. Ladies, careless words. Ladies, careless words. Ladies, more often. <laughs> How many men looked at their wife and said, can I vote like this? It's okay. Is it all right with you if I say ladies? Is it going to be? <laughs> it's time for the altar call right this moment. <laughs> All right, you guys, we are in Traps and Trolls week three, uh, and, and the whole idea of Traps and Trolls is a series where we're talking about the things that we might do or contribute to that cause us to get stopped in our tracks, that keep us from moving forward, that hold us back in some way, and the trolls would be uh, the things that the enemy does to try to put us in those traps, okay? Uh, there are a lot of different times and places when this type of thing comes up in Scripture. Let's go to Proverbs 6. Uh, verses 1 and 2, and we're trying to do a better job of reading the Bible from our own Bible. So if you've got it on your phone, feel free to grab that, open up the app. If you brought a Bible with you, feel free to grab it as well. There's also no shame in reading it off the screen. I do that pretty often myself, uh, but just as all of us think through having our own Bibles in our own hands, uh, the downside is you can't take that screen home, the screen home with you, you know? So here we go. Uh, this is This is the, the proverb, a father writing to his son says this, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. They're like, okay, that's weird. What in the world is this? It's a proverb. First of all, keep in mind it's a proverb. So it's a, it's a, it's a wise statement trying to help someone think through a process. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, son, if you don't watch out, you will end up saying or committing to something for someone you don't even know, a stranger. And now you're caught because you said you would do it and you've got to do it. Let, let me give you a practical example. If someone showed up at your house and said, I know you don't know me, but I really need to buy a car and I don't have great credit and I was hoping maybe you would co-sign the loan. So if you don't mind, let's walk down to the bank. I'll show you the car. I want you to co-sign the loan and you do that, right? Now, some of us in the room might co-sign a loan for who? Like maybe our children, maybe, maybe. 
Some of you are like, don't give them that idea. Do not give them that idea, Pastor Brad. Like, some of us might you know, co-sign a loan for a sibling or a parent, something like that. Uh, co-signing a loan is when you tell the bank that if they don't pay for it, I will. Okay? If they don't pay for it, I will. So some of you are like, I'm not co-signing a loan for anybody at all. I get that as well. Uh, the, the, the idea here is don't be so quick to pledge your commitment to someone you don't know, have trust in, have a relationship with, because if you don't watch out, you'll find yourself caught. And now you've made a pledge, or in the Hebrew word here is more of a legal word. So it's not just a pledge like a, like a scout going, I pledge like this. It's actually a legal commitment. Like I'm, I'm stuck, man. I, I said I would do it, and now I have to do it, okay? The truth is words have the power to trap you. The words that we speak, the things that we do, the commitments that we make can put us in a place where we are now committed to that. Now, commitment is not always a trap. I don't want you to put those two words together as if they mean exactly the same thing. But commitment to something you should not be committed to is a trap. Commitment to something God never intended you to commit to is a trap. Commitment in a place where you spoke too quickly, did not think long enough, did not pray or consider or ask good advice now you found yourself somewhat trapped in a commitment that you made. As we keep going, verse 3 of the scripture says this. Then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. In other words, I shouldn't have made this commitment. I, I spoke too quickly. I'm, I'm going to humble myself and tell you, I don't know if I can get, I don't know if I can do this. He goes so far to say, give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. What he's getting at is this, is that careless words have the power to hunt you down. They can come back and get you. And if you don't watch out, what will happen is we'll have careless words today and then forget about them and put them away and then... Three months or six months or two years go by until someone comes back and says, this is the commitment that you made. This is what you have to follow through with, and this is what you have to do. He's saying, now this is very practical, think about this. If you find yourself having made a commitment that you know you should not have made, deal with it. Like, like deal with it at that time. Here's what I'm saying. You just bought the, the fanciest thing, like this thing you've wanted, but you knew you couldn't afford, and you wanted it, and you couldn't afford it, and you wanted it, and you couldn't afford it, and then you get to the store, and it's 5% off, and your brain goes 5% off. I'm sure that's, that's great. I can afford it, and you buy it, and you get home, and you're about to take it in the house, and you realize, I should not have bought that. I really should not have done that. I, I've made a commitment here that I should not have made. What this scripture is teaching us to do is get out the receipt, put it back in the car, go back to the store, humble yourself, walk up to the salesperson and say, I need to return this. I've made a commitment that I should not have made. I don't want to get hunted down. So here's what he's saying. He's saying if, if we don't want to be hunted down by careless words, then we have to actually humble ourselves. Uh, the actual literal Hebrew is that you should hunt yourself down. In other words, I've gotten myself into something that's going to cause me great trouble. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to like cross both fingers, close both eyes, and hope nobody notices. <laughs> like, like hope that something happens to make it better. 
like hope that somehow this isn't going to hurt me the way I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt me. Or you humble yourself, you openly admit that you should not have done what you did, made the commitment you made, said the words you said, moved forward in the way you moved forward, and you do everything in your power to go back and untrap yourself. Even if it means having to say, I was wrong. I should not have done what I did. Today, we're going to talk a lot about this, what it means really to kind of get through and deal with these moments where we have been careless in our words and we've been trapped by them. Uh, The literal translation of the hunted down can also be said uh, trampled over. It's another way that word is used. Um, Let's talk about that for a second. If you're a college football fan, you may remember last year when the University of Tennessee Boo, kidding. There are a few Tennessee fans in the room just playing with you. I'm just playing with you. Don't throw stones. That's my example of careless words. See, just did that. Uh, they, they, they defeated Alabama. And there are also Alabama fans in this room, but I will not speak ill of them because they're meaner than Tennessee fans. So where are they? <laughs> where are they? <laughs> He's like, we'll see about that. At the end of the game, the Tennessee fans were so excited that their team had defeated Alabama that they rushed the the, the grounds. They literally ran into the center of the field, and there were quite a few injuries, actually, that happened because of this trampling of people getting so excited that they had won that they moved forward. Now, that in and of itself is a pretty good story, but it's a story that is easily overpowered by another similar story that happened the same year. And my guess is most of us in this room never heard of it. Uh, In Indonesia, at the end of a soccer game, I'm sorry, football game, there was a huge defeat where one team defeated another team. It was the Arena Football League in Indonesia. And there were something like 140,000 people in the stands and they rushed the field. And when they rushed the field, certain parts of the stands began to collapse. And at the end of everything, I think the number ended up being 140 people were killed, trampled to death by this reaction. Now, I didn't come today to talk about storming the field. I hope that even if this is a phenomenal sermon, you don't storm the stage. You know, that's a good thing. Um, but I want us to think about what it means when, when we do something, we say something, we make a commitment, we go too far, we push it too far, we step over the line, and then without even realizing it, we cause a chain reaction that ends up in our own trampling, okay? Our own destruction, our own problems. And that's why the Bible talk, talks to us and teaches us about careless, careless words. The theme for the whole series is this. We can safely sidestep the tracks that are in our way by walking in grace and forgiveness. When you walk in grace and forgiveness, it means a few things. Not only does it mean that you recognize that you've been forgiven and therefore you live as a forgiven person, but it also means that you find a way to be a forgiving person so that it's not just forgiveness, it's grace and forgiveness, so that as you live knowing that the grace of God rests on your life and you can have confidence and you can move forward and you can trust the future because of Jesus, you also can be graceful and forgiving to those around you. So as we talk about careless words today, you might find your mind going to your own mouth and your own words being careless, or you might find yourself thinking about that person in your life who has been very careless with their words around you, 
And you might find yourself, if I'm going to walk in grace and forgiveness, then I have to either learn to forgive and be responsible for my own self, or I might have to learn how to forgive those who have been irresponsible with their words to me, okay? So those are kind of the contexts of what we'll be talking about and facing today. Let's keep going. That one time. I got to tell you about the one time, which by the way, unveils the many times that I was careless with words. Um, Here I think is what happens. When someone is young and they have in themselves some sort of a confidence where they're not too worried about what somebody else says and they get involved in like joking or kidding or teasing, it's very easy not to realize that the person who you think is just as confident as you are and the things are rolling off their back as easily as they are for yours, for you to go, what's up, dummy? And then them say, well, what's up, stupid? Or what other thing? And you guys can imagine it goes lots deeper and much worse than that as friends and different things start to do that. That is the world in which I was raised, okay? Uh, we showed our concern and love for people by saying mean things to them and then laughing. Some of you are like, you're a horrible monster. Some of you are like, that's the locker room I grew up in. Like, I I get that, okay? Uh, It wasn't until I became a little older and I realized, and I don't know if you guys knew this, not everybody relates to that kind of relationship. They don't, like, not everybody likes it when you cut them down and then laugh, they don't. We don't need to vote on that. Like, that's, like it's, not a, it's not nearly as helpful as we thought it was, okay? And so before long, what ends up happening is, is that I started realizing that my words meant more to people than I thought they did, and I realized that I had hurt people unintentionally due to careless things that I had said either in... Um, a sermon or in a, you know, sitting over dinner or in talking after church or in the parking lot. And little by little, I had to look in the mirror and go, why are so many people frustrated with me by the things that I've said? In my, in my heart, I'm sitting there thinking, I can't remember a single time when I intended to harm somebody. Like, I can't remember a single time when I did something on purpose that was intended to be mean that someone should be mad about. Like, I couldn't think of any. But man, when I ask, and I should, I, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but I did. I stood on stage and I asked for people to give me examples of times that I had said things that were hurtful to them. And I thought I might get one or two emails. But it was more than that. And I have to say thank you out loud to those who sent those emails because the ones who really wanted to help me were the ones who go, well, I got to give you an example of when that happened. Sometimes it was something I said to them. Sometimes it was something that I said to someone else and they overheard it. And they would just say, listen, I think when, that, when you said that, it was, it was careless. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't loving. It wasn't kind. It was careless. And little by little, it started to hit me that I have to be in control of my words much more than I am. I have to think about the person I'm talking to. I have to think about how they relate, how they communicate. I have to think about what matters to them. I have to think about what they're looking to me for. And I have to try and do better about the way I relate to people. Then I thought, okay, I got this under control. Got it, got it done, got it taken care of. 
working on it. It was a few years later when my assistant, who's like a sister to me at the time, came and sat down with me and she said, we've got to talk. I'm like, what now? You know, what now? What did I do? What did I do? And she said, she said, you like to talk about ideas and dreams. And I said, yeah, I do, man. I love to talk about ideas and dreams. And she went, the problem is you talk about an idea and a dream and two or three people are around you and they hear you saying, that's what we're going to do and that's how we're going to do it. And you're just processing, like you're just thinking maybes and they're hearing definites. And so they walk out of the room thinking, God has just spoken to our leader and he's given us a new dream. And you go home, have dinner and go, nah. Now that I think about it, that was a bad idea, and move on. And so she said, we've got to find a way for you to, again, think through and not make haphazard statements or say things that cause unintentional problems. And so I came up with the rule. Some of you have heard this rule. If it's not written down, we're not doing it. <laughs> like, once we write it down, that means we're doing it. But, but not until it's written down and there's a sheet and we can pass it out and everybody can sign it. Like, that's, that's when we're doing it. Up until that written thing, that's, it's just an idea until it's written down. Some of you are like, I get it now. Now I understand why. I always kind of thought that was strange. I understand why. Well, that is for me, that is a way to discipline myself to be able to verbally process things, but at the same time, not to cause people to think that uh, we're doing something and then we're not, and then we are, and then we're not, and then we are, and then we're not. Makes sense? Now, I don't think I'm the only person in the room who has to try and think through how do I control my tongue and how do I make better steps toward less careless talk and be better about communicating wisely and in a healthy way that's something I think all of us can deal with. The writer of Proverbs, uh, King David, a few verses later, uh, a few chapters later, says this. He says, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes the trouble. In other words, the righteous man or the righteous woman has more control over their lips, and so they don't say things that cause traps for themselves. It's a beautiful passage. So let's jump to the New Testament, and we're, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, is in the book of James. In the book of James, we see this. James is, a, James is a practical theologian. James doesn't just tell you what to think. James tells you what to do, how to act, how to live. So it's straightforward. James is the pastor Bible writer, very, very focused on your behavior. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their entire bodies or their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, but they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs them. The trap of careless words can change the course of your life. That's ultimately what he's helping us understand is that we have to make sure that as we handle our words, we handle them in a way that recognizes the potential for them to adjust our lives. So it comes down to this, words matter. Now, let's talk about this. In our culture, this has been an argument for the last four, five, six years. There have been, um, there have been political leaders whose uh, words were not always careful. Uh, there have been political leaders on both sides of the aisle who have said things in our country and our culture that, that 
that either were carelessly or sometimes intentionally designed to cause friction between all the groups of people in our country, okay? So this is not a political statement. I'm not standing on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, but to just say carelessness of words is something that we've seen a lot of from leaders. And we've seen a lot of it in our own lives. And we've started to deal with trying to balance this out. So I don't want to come across incorrectly here. Uh, we've tried to figure this out, like where are words weapons and where are words just words? When can we hold someone accountable to not use words? And when can we have to realize that, you know what, people use words? And so in the long run, words like tolerance and things have been thrown out to try and maybe help us figure out how to use our words but in the long run, I'm not so sure that we're not, we might be less, more mixed up now with our words than we were even before, trying to figure out how do we relate to people with our words. Words matter. So for the sake of today, I simply want to say that the stance you cannot take, not the only stance, but a stance that we cannot take is they're just words. Words don't matter. We can't take that stance. They're just words. Words don't matter. We can't take that stance because the Bible doesn't take that stance. God, through his writers of the scriptures, don't take that stance. And there's no doubt that words do matter. Christians, we are called by God to be responsible for our words, which means that we have to make choices as to what we say and how we say them and to whom we say them and when we say them. And then we have to deal with the fact that in using our words, we've made commitments and we've said things that caused reactions, and we are responsible for our words. Make sense? Now, some might go, well, then I'm never going to speak. Well, there's a problem with that talk too, because the scripture tells us all different kinds of things we're supposed to speak about. All different types of things that we're supposed to speak up and stand up for. And so I'm not saying, hey, listen, don't ever talk because your words will get you in trouble. I'm saying we have to have an intentionality about what we say. Let me give you an example. Did you know that you could say something and someone react to that and say, that hurt my feelings? And you can actually say, I'm sorry it hurt your feelings, but I meant every word. You could do that. You really can. Now, what you can't do is say what you want to say and then them say, that hurt my feelings, and you say, I don't care. I don't care that it hurt your feelings. Because if you don't care that it hurt their feelings, you are revealing the carelessness of your mouth to begin with. Let me say it this way. If I, as a leader, am going to need to say something that I know will hurt your feelings, then I better care about your feelings before I say it. So that when I say it, I say it out of love for you, not out of I don't care about you. You see the difference? When I say to someone, this behavior in your life is hurtful, it's going to cause you pain. It's going to destroy good things in your life. And I love you enough to tell you this. And then that person goes, well, that hurts my feelings. Then I go, I know it does. And it's why I was so careful about the way I said it and the way I came across because I love you and I want you to hear me and not just hear your feelings. Am I making sense? Words matter. Attitudes matter. Tone matters. The, the timing of our words matter. And we need to be wordsmiths in the way that we communicate with the people around us. It's amazing what God can do through the right word in the right place. Let me give you an example. 
I grew up in the small Baptist, well, different size Baptist church world. And one of the things, especially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, is that every month there would be a business meeting. That's when everybody gets in the room, tongue in cheek here, and use careless words. (laughs) That just seemed to happen a lot. But in every church, it feels like in everyone, I don't know that I can say absolutely everyone, but nearly everyone, there was this one guy who never said anything until something really needed to be said. I can remember one particular guy. I was pastoring a church in Tennessee. I'm in, uh, in Kentucky outside of Louisville. I was in seminary. And there was this one man. He was very quiet. He, ra- he rarely said anything. But he, he, the way he walked in life, he carried the respect of everybody in the room. And there would be 30 or 40 or 50 people in a meeting. And we would be discussing whether or not we were going to spend this money on this new youth ministry thing or this new children's ministry thing or this one particular time I remember whether or not we were going to replace a very old broken organ with a new uh, digital keyboard. Oh, people had opinions. There were lots and lots of opinions. And there were words that were probably very carefully said. And there were some words that were very carelessly said. And then this particular man, he wasn't a singer. He wasn't on stage. He didn't play the piano or the organ. uh, But he was wise and he was respected. And as we saw the tension in the room grow and grow and grow and more careless things were being said, all of a sudden this man said, I have something to say. And the room just went silent. And he stood up and he spoke very carefully and very wisely. But don't get me wrong, he was not sheepish. He was bold. And his careful, confident, bold words brought that room back to unity. And everybody went, well, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, I think I can agree to that. Yeah, that sounds good. And we moved on. Words matter. They really, really matter. And so we have to think through how we use words in our life. Let's keep going with what James says. It's a very practical passage, James chapter 3. He says this. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, but yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course. What he's getting at is this, is that our tongue, when it's used carelessly, it can not only hurt you, but it can hurt everybody around you. You ever seen that moment? Maybe you've had it when you just kind of lost it and just blew up for a minute. Like for whatever reason, like something happens in you emotionally and you're like, I'm boiling emotionally inside so much that I'm just going to spew it out on everybody around me. And if it burns you, then you better just step back. I've done that. I've done that. You You ever hope, this is my life, but you ever hope that when you did that, your children are just too young to remember? You're like... Like, I really hope that's not something that shows up in a counseling session in 30 years. I really, really hope that it's not. One time I was trying to get ready for church, and I was, I was very nervous. I don't remember what was bothering me. I was young. Our kids were very young. And I went to get in my truck and turn it around. And, and I turned it around in the yard, and it had rained. And my four-wheel drive had broken. And I got my truck stuck in my own yard on nothing but grass. 
And then I was dressed nice to preach and I got out of the truck and when I stepped onto the ground, I slipped and fell right into the mud. And I got up and I, I wasn't necessarily using curse words, but I was cursing with my tone, the truck, the yard, the rain, the morning, the day, and everything else that had me stressed out that day. And I turned around and there's my oldest son walking out to get in the truck with me. You know, I had just thrown a stick and kicked a tree and just acted foolish. And I remember him seeing all of that, you know, just careless words carelessness. If we don't watch out our tongue and the way we handle our communication can not only hurt us, but it can hurt everybody around us. So here's the thought. This is an unknown statement, but I like it. It says, think before you speak, the words you say can, uh, can only be forgiven, not forgotten. Think before you speak, the words that you say can only be forgiven, not forgotten. Uh, this is an important reality factor for us as a people in the way we relate to one another. Scripture in James 3 goes on. He says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salty pond yield fresh water. He's trying to just help us understand that the trap of careless words um, it's got a quick trigger, man. It really causes harm, and it causes harm fast. And so we as human beings need to work toward taming our tongue. Now, I think it's interesting that he says we can't do it. Did you catch that? He says, he says you can't do it. He says, no human, like we can train a monkey, we can train a dog, we can train uh, some of, maybe you could train a cat. I've never been successful with that. Like you could train different things, but we can't train our tongue. So he's saying from the beginning, there's some sort of handicap here about us having an inability to do it. But then he says we should do it. So my take on that would be that it requires, like so many other things, it requires the grace and power of God for us to do much with our tongue. That means, get this, get this. Have you ever thought about this? That means that when we have really something to say, when our emotions are pushing, when, when, when we're feeling kind of something welling up inside of us, when there has been tension or when there's been joy, when there has been anger or disagreement, that we should really come to a place where we're literally asking God to help us choose our words. Maybe even when we're saying, Lord, this is what I want to say, but I need your permission to say it. Lord, this is what I, this is what I feel like saying. And this is how I feel like saying it. And this is the volume at which I feel like saying it. This is the tone at which I plan to use when I say it. Lord, I just want, to, I want you to be my editor for a minute. If you don't mind, pull out the red ink pen. Tell me how I need to say that. Here's what happens with me. Sometimes he goes, you, absol you absolutely should say that. But that volume and that tone thing, those need to change. Okay. Or you absolutely need to say that, but you do not need to say that right now because the timing is not right. The thing you want to say could be a calming thing, but there's an argument going on. And if you say it right now, it just becomes part of the argument. 
The, the thing you need to say, you know what? You know what, Brad? That is the right thing for you, but you need, before you say it, you need to think about whether or not that's the right thing for the other person in the conversation. Wait, Brad, wait, wait. This is what he might say to me. Uh, According to the priorities that are in your mind, what you want to say is the right thing, but you have not even asked the other person what their priorities are. You need to hear their priorities. And then after you hear their priorities, you might actually, the two of you might be able to figure out something that works great for both of you. Am I making any sense here? I love the image of the toe and the mousetrap. Anybody ever done that? I have done that. Anybody else ever like raw toe? Yeah. Thank you for being honest. Like, yes, I have stepped on a mousetrap. Man, you really have to have care for your tongue when you do that. It takes a lot of immediate, okay, Lord, how should I say what I want to say right now? Let's keep going. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. They're a church that had dealt with a lot of argument, a lot of battle, a lot of struggle, a lot of bad theology where the leaders of the church had to stand against it. That's kind of the story of the church in Ephesus. Uh, keep in mind, in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus is the one where God says, I'm proud of how well you have battled against the wrong teachings of the faith, but in the process, you lost your first love. Okay, that, that's this church. That's what they're dealing with. So he's talking to them about how to handle their tongue because they are a church that has had to deal with disagreement a lot. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't stay angry long. Deal with it, okay? And give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to himself. The final two thoughts for the day are this. Your words should be filled with sound truth. Now, let's talk about the difference between truth and opinion, okay? Our world likes to call it your truth. You heard that? Tell what is your truth? What is your what is my truth? Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm really not, but I want to make sure we understand this. There are different perspectives. So you have a perspective, I have a perspective. There are different angles. So you see this from an angle, and I see this from an angle. We need to explore those. We need to hear those. We need to recognize those. We need to value those. We need to value that the way you see what has happened is different than the way I see what has happened. Now, I think that's what a lot of people mean when they say your truth, my truth, okay? I think it's more helpful to use the word perspective or angle or specific, you know, something like that because truth is a very, very specific word. And truth describes that which actually is real. Not my angle, not your angle, but what actually happened. I'm brought to the thought of the countless number of times. Anybody watch TV shows about police and robberies and arrests and that kind of thing? I'm brought to mind about the countless number of times uh, three men have rushed into a bank to rob it. They're all caught on camera, okay? The, all of the different angles are very specific. We have digital video that has not been enhanced or touched or bothered by anyone. We have true, exact accounts of what happened. But in the interview process, the police officers asked 20 different witnesses, what did you see? 
And one person might say there were five guys and they were all wearing ski masks and they all had rifles. And then someone else might say, well, they were all white guys. And someone else might choose another skin color, background, nationality. Or someone might say, I think two of them were women. And then you find out it wasn't five, it wasn't four, it was three. And only one of them had a ski mask and only one of them had a firearm. Like, you know, like all of a sudden uh, people realize that, wait a second, my perspective can be skewed. It can be. So there's two or three angles here at which we should look at people's perspectives. One of them is when looking at your own perspective, recognize that you could be wrong. My memory of what happened could be incorrect. The way I saw it might not have been exactly what happened. And so there needs to be a level of humility in me that goes, I know what I think I saw. I know what I think I witnessed. I know what I think I experienced. And yet, I don't have to trust my perspective with 100% confidence because it's possible, it's possible that my perspective was not true. It causes us to value others. So now we have to say or want to say, hey, what about your perspective? What happened in this? What happened? How do you see this developing? How did you see this happening? And now all of a sudden, we're not only... We're not only recognizing that someone else's perspective is valuable, but we're letting it kind of unveil some things maybe we missed. Little by little, what we seek and what we find is truth. Truth is not my opinion. Truth is truth. Truth is not my experience or perspective. Truth is truth. And so if we want to seek truth, we have to seek it, not just feel it or experience it or witness it. So your words should be filled with sound truth. That's what the scripture says or what teaches us. We have to make sure that we are speaking and standing for and valuing that which is true. Ephesians goes on in verse 29, just one more verse, says this. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting talk, by the way, is talk that's desired or intended to make it worse. Okay, <laughs> we have tension in the room. What can I say to make it worse? That's, that's what corrupting talk is, okay? So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Your words should be filled with blessings. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Some would take the phrase I just said, your words should be filled with blessings, and they would think that everything should always be happy, everything should always be nice, everything should always be sweet, everything should always be uplifting, everything should always be with a smile, everything should always be positive. And there are uh, pastors and preachers and things out there that kind of represent this perspective that, that you should never say anything that might be seen as negative or hurtful, or you should never say someone's wrong, you should never use the word sin, you should never talk about that. That's not what I'm saying here, not at all. I'm saying that when you have to talk about sin, when you have to talk about brokenness, when you have to talk to someone about something that might hurt their feelings, you do so because you want to be a blessing in their life, not because you just have an opinion and you're going to shout it out. Am I making sense? If there's someone in my life that I need to talk to and say to something to them 
that they might find offensive or bothering or bothersome or challenging, then I need to be cautious, careful as I lead up to it. But then if I love that person and if I'm being guided by the Lord, then I need to say it because my words, even though they might sound negative, are a blessing. Think in your life, if you would, for a moment, someone who has corrected you with love, someone who has guided you with concern, Someone who has taught you because they want you to be more successful or to do better in a certain thing. Someone who has pulled you aside and said, hey, let's try it different next time. You know what I'm talking about when you say some of those folks were really trying to be a blessing to you. Now, here's what's crazy. They may not have even been correct. They may not have been right, but they were trying to help. Right? They were trying to be a blessing to you. And so... When I say your word should be filled with blessings, I don't just mean your word should always be. But when they're not this, our words should be driven by genuine love and concern for everyone with which we interact. So that as we speak, whether it is with encouragement or correction, all of it is intended to be blessing. Make sense? Today, I think, is a heavy topic. When we think about what it means to really be in control of and watch over our words, especially for those of us who have a higher word count than others. Some of us use a lot of words. Some of us use less words. But the Lord calls us to use careful words and not careless words in all cases. Would you pray with me?